Welcome to the Spooky Tales podcast presented by me, John. And me, Louise. We have been fascinated by spooky goings-on since we can remember and wanted to share with you the stories that pique our interest. Today's story is a continuation of hauntings, possession, poltergeist, psychological manipulation and an unexpected twist. It's the spooky tale of The Black Alchemist, Part 2. Welcome, or welcome back, to the Spooky Tales podcast. So, where are we in this intriguing and dark tale of the Black Alchemist? Our heroes, Andy and Bernard, having started on a quest to discover the Stave of Nizar, an ancient Egyptian rod, once belonging to Robert Fitzhamon, a cousin of William the Conqueror, had been led by various psychic means, including an elemental dwarf, to discover a stone spearhead with magical sigils on it, which had been part of a black magic ceremony conducted in a churchyard in Lullington, Sussex, by a man who they called the Black Alchemist. Gosh, that was a long sentence. <laughs> it was well done. <laughs> they began to suspect it was part of some sort of plan of evil doing. What they did not yet know was had they walked into a terrible trap. Oh no, how so? The churchyard in Lullington had been deliberately chosen for its association with the episode of the Perador story, where the head of the white stag is cut off. Remember the elemental dwarf telling Andy and Bernard of the legend of Perador, who is told to hunt a white stag in a small wood when he lost a game of chess? Yes, so that's symbolic in some way with alchemy. Yes, the stag represents the soul of the alchemist, so a sacred site... Which is Lullington Churchyard. Yes, Lullington Churchyard has a tradition of being associated with the severing of a stag's head. Oh, I see. So, Lullington Churchyard would be perfect for a black magic ritual. Using a spearhead representing a stag's head, which was then removed, yes? So, just as in the Perdor story, where a knight steals a stag's head, Andy and Bernard are kind of representing the knight. Yes, and... Who was it that gave them the clue to go to Lullington Churchyard and said, remove the head? The elemental dwarf at Borough Mound, yes, is that, that right? that's right. So, had they been set up all along by the Black Alchemist to play this role in his dark form of alchemy in search of immortality? Well, either that, or they were really unlucky to have triggered all this. Bernard was by now very reluctant to have anything more to do with this. I'm not surprised. However, in June 1985, not long after their meeting in the pub where he had tried to psychometrize the spearhead, Bernard had a terrible nightmare. He woke with a start and was very nearly sick. He sat up, hoping to get out of the dream so as not to go back into it when he returned to sleep. Why was he experiencing such a thing? He didn't want to have anything to do with it. But he knew he had to tell Andy. But if he does, Andy will just ask him to do more psychic stuff to find out more, won't he? But if he doesn't, it will just play on his mind for weeks to come. So, 
He told Andy and decided to write a full account of his dream and the subsequent impressions he'd had since the dream. Ooh, so what happened in the dream? Well, in it, he, Andy and two companions came across a Victorian terraced house with double bay windows and a recessed front door. There was a terrible dark energy about the whole house despite its normal conventional appearance. They assumed, rightly, that entering the house they would be under psychic attack. The house was in a terrible state. There was peeling paint, mould on the walls. A room had been trashed with books and shelves strewn across the floor. Then the four heard a low vibrational hum and upon turning around they saw four orbs of electric blue light about the size of a soccer or football. They hung motionless a few feet above the floor, pulsating with the rhythm of the hum. Bernard knew they were manifestations of imbalanced psychic energy and would be trouble for them if not dealt with. All four looked for items to construct crude crosses to perform a banishment. Andy shouting for the orbs to leave this place in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. At first, nothing. But eventually, after repeated commands, they began to fade. And just when they thought they were in the clear, a light bulb above them exploded, the four of them ducking for cover. Just as the dust was settling, another light bulb in the next room exploded, and then another, and another, until all the light bulbs in the house had exploded. Unperturbed, they made their way upstairs. A door was bulging outwards as if about to burst. Andy stepped up and kicked in the door, and before them there were ancient leather and skin-bound books, pages and covers, flapping and turning angrily of their own accord. Skin-bound? Do you mean there were... They were bound in with skin? Yes. Oh, God. This was the point that Bernard woke up being sick. It took Bernard days to write up the nightmare because as soon as he started writing, he would start to get a nasty headache. He felt that attuning to the house was creating a telepathic link between him and the black alchemist. So was he thinking it was more than a dream, that, there was, that the house perhaps was real? Yes, there was... Definitely that feeling about it, that this was, as he was saying, a, a telepathic link between him and the, alch the alchemist. So it was a um, hyper-real dream, one of those dreams where you can't yes. distinguish from it, you know. I think that's a, an excellent way of putting it, a hyper-real dream. Yeah. And he felt like he was being influenced by the Black Alchemist. At one point, Bernard could see the Black Alchemist working alone in a room filled with books and Bunsen burners. What do you mean he could see him? What, like a vision? Yes, that's right. Then he became aware that the black alchemist was aware of Bernard looking in. Suddenly, Bernard saw a crucible being thrown at him, which made him jump back to his reality. Crucible? Yeah, you know, it's like a little pot that you sort of melt sort of bits of magnesium or chemicals and things. A scientific instrument of some sort. Yeah. Okay. Little dish. Little dish. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pots probably not quite right. Uh, yeah. So it made him jump back to his reality, and the connection was lost. But it left him with a stabbing pain in his head. However, Bernard did get 
further information. What sort of information? The location of the house. Eastbourne, Sussex. So that's just a few miles from Lullington? Yes. The man himself is tall and had short grey hair. That he is an academic, working in a college or a library and has access to books and equipment. He lives alone and works alone. So this is the Black Alchemist. This is who he has connected to, is that right? That's correct, yes. What about his name? Did he pick up anything for that? No, Bernard couldn't pick up on that. It appeared the Black Alchemist was too good at psychic blocking for that. I'm amazed that Bernard would be willing to try and even have any connection with him. If he's having all these feelings, you'd thought that Bernard would just go, no! Well, I think he does have that duality of sort of going, I don't want to be any part of this, but I feel like I've got to. Yeah, so he's drawn in in some way. Yes. And there is some connection that he can't stop. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, because if he stops, then what's the Black Alchemist going to do? Ooh, yeah. Um, you know, he, he has this connection. Right, okay, yeah, okay. So the Black Alchemist is blocking him somehow, psychically, Yeah. stopping him from knowing too much. That's right, right. But particularly in this case, his name. He could see where he lived and what his room looked like. Yeah. What he looked like. Right. But not his name. Okay, yeah. Some days later, in May 1986... Bernard was disturbed by another dream that suggested the Black Alchemist had struck again, this time in a churchyard in Kent, at St Mary's Church at a place called Ide Hill. Wow, he got all of that from the dream? Well, no, he had odd visions of a rook circling and a feeling of a place, and the rest was guesswork and research with Andy in the Griffin pub and a local churchyard. Ah, I see. So, what did they think had happened when you said he'd struck again? They thought that on May the 1st, 1986, May the 1st being Beltane, a pagan celebration, the Black Alchemist had surrounded St Mary's Church in a psychic boundary and placed another occult object, like the spearhead, in the grounds. For what purpose? Why was he doing it? Well, they weren't sure, but they assumed it was a continuation of performing the Zosimos spirit transmutation to immortality rituals. Bernard surprisingly, was very keen to get going to the church and find out what was going on and, if necessary, put a stop to it. So, as I was saying earlier, he felt drawn to want to do something about it, even though he didn't really want to be part of it. Right. So, did they get up and go straight from the pub? Well, actually, no. Uh, Bernard was busy with work and what have you, so it would have to wait to the weekend. Only Andy was busy then seeing some friends. However, he thought they would be interested as they were also into psychic questing. Gosh, I, I want somebody to say to me, I know we were going go, we to go and have <laughs> yes. lunch today, but do you fancy going psychic questing? Because I, I would be there. Um, I would be like, yes. Absolutely. What's that? And let's, let's have some. Let's have a go at that. <laughs> absolutely, yes. As long as it's, you know, not going to put me in any danger. All right, there for yeah. it. Um, yeah. So I stand back with my sandwiches and, and find it and have a look what's going on. Yeah, take a thermos of tea. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, absolutely, I'm up for that. So were they as into it as I would be? They were indeed. Uh, mind you, if you're going to be a friend of them, you are probably going to be... In that sort of field. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So Andrew Bernard and Andy's friends arrived and surveyed the church. Curiously, there was a throng of people in small groups with maps wandering in the area. What? Like a, a treasure hunt of some sort? Yes, it was exactly that. It was a treasure hunt? Yeah. Oh, wow. So Bernard, tuning into the site, 
saw a vision of the black alchemist carrying out his ritual and building a psychic barrier. An ominous chill wind whipped through the group. (laughs) Using Bernard's impressions, they searched for the spearhead inside the church under the altar. However, How could they do that? That's quite something, isn't it? That they could, you know... What, that Bernard could see through? That Bernard could see that? No, that they could... Oh, just whip into the church and... Look under the altar. Because normally um, churches are very much like, ah... Excuse me, what do you... (laughs) (laughs) Do you know that never occurred to me, but yes... If you see you a group of, group of people ferreting around by the altar... You're normally like, uh, Hello, Can I help? Can I, yeah. There's normally a church warden <laughs> yes, with coming. We're just looking for a, a magical, um, a, a sort of black, a satanic um, <laughs> yes. item with yes. magical symbols on it. Have you seen it by any chance? <laughs> it may have magic, magic sigils on it. <laughs> yeah, OK. All right, cool. Well, obviously they, they nipped in there when it was a bit quiet. I think so, even though there was a throng of people outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With maps. <laughs> so using Bernard's impressions, they searched for the spearhead inside the church under the altar. However, it was not there. The cleaners had been in. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Ooh, what's that doing there? <laughs> <laughs> that shouldn't be there. <laughs> That's right. This did not make sense, except if the cleaners had been there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Unless it had been removed by the cleaners. That's right. It had been removed. Now, presumably, the black, would the black alchemist remove it? You put well, it there and then remove it. You say he's the cleaner. Oh, it could be, couldn't it? But yeah, that's Academic what. Cleaner. That's what they. That's what didn't make sense to them. Why would he put it there, and, and they would pick up on that psychic energy, and then remove it? Yes, absolutely. So, if particularly if he wished it to cause harm, the but, black alchemist. Yeah, right. So if he wanted it to cause harm, why put it there and then remove it? That yeah. seems that seems mad. Well, maybe. It, yeah. Well. Yeah. Because, yeah, he obviously needed it to do something, didn't he? Unless it just it simply it being there for a while. Uh, true, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. So, Bernard had heard a voice, a spirit guide, an Elizabethan alchemist. Ooh, John Dee. Well, hold that thought. Telling him that no one should touch the spearhead for fear it would bring psychic torment to the one who touched it. Oh, gosh. He heard the words, Do not endanger your soul. Ooh. Perhaps they, perhaps the impressions were wrong. That the black alchemist had never been there, or he was leading them on a wild goose chase by placing it there, removing it, knowing that they would try to find it and remove it. He might have been watching them. Yeah, yes, of course. Whatever it was, Andrew and Bernard knew this was not over, and that the black alchemist would strike again. As the days passed, the weather was hot and oppressive leading to a storm on the 21st of May, 1986. Ooh, sounds like the kind of sort of weather the Black Alchemist and you would like. <laughs> yes, Did you like a storm? I, I hope you're not saying that I'm sort of like the Black Alchemist. No, 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 not, not in <laughs> so there. So I can do terrible deeds. No, but looking at you wearing black. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. So indeed, this was Bernard's thoughts and impressions also, that this is the type of weather the Black Alchemist would revel in. The next day, on the 22nd of May, he had a feeling the Black Alchemist had indeed struck again, but this time in their own backyard, so to speak. Oh, ma. He called Andrew to investigate. They met and headed out into the night. Bernard was drawn to some woods called Shenfield Common. Once there, they discovered a clearing in the middle of the woods. Bernard felt that by entering the clearing, they had triggered a trap. He saw finger-like wisps of dark energy 
like fingers of coldness emanating from the centre of the clearing and rising into the air. Bernard could sense something had been buried. They had two choices. Get out, I presume, was option number one. And option two? But... Put their big boy pants on and find the thing that had been buried. Mind you, I don't think I would touch it. You could find... Well, no, see, that's it. Why do you find it? Then you don't want to touch it. But if you could touch it, you might endanger your soul. I mean, frankly, I would choose option one and go to the pub. Yeah, and particularly if they've already heard that warning. Yes! Saying, don't touch it. And I mean, it's not just don't touch it because it might give you some kind of nasty skin rash. It's don't touch it because it might endanger your soul. I know, yes. So they chose option one? Uh... They chose option. They didn't choose. They did choose option one and went back to the pub. Really? No, no, no. They chose option two. Oh, really? I actually believe you then. <laughs> and did they find it? Yes. It didn't take them long either. Buried by a tree on the outskirts of the clearing. So what was it? Was it another spearhead marker? Oh my god! I can't believe that if they touched it. Yes, painted black and inscribed with magical sigils. Was it Bernard that found it? Was he okay? Yes, and sort of. Upon finding it, he stumbled backwards, retching warning Andy not to touch it. Andy kneeled down and doused it with holy water. Who doesn't have holy water on their being? I suppose, actually, if you're going, yeah. doing this kind of thing, you might, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 okay. You'd have your holy it. water. Where, where do you get that, though? Is Church. it on the... In, and this is 1986, so... Yeah. What, what, you go to the priest yeah. and say, have you got a vial of... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, and they would just say, yes, that's £4.50. Or... Well, what? you know, he does quite a lot of psychic questions, so he might have a a big bottle of it somewhere but yeah I do think you you could go to you or you just what fill it up fill your bo- bottle with uh, tap uh, fill your bottle with tap water and then go to a, a priest and say could you bless this please well is it does it have to be blessed by a priest or could you bless it yeah. could you evoke I'd have thought you... it had to be someone of a godly persuasion in that in, in the sort of church way yeah I mean otherwise we yeah, I don't know. I suppose I don't otherwise, know. it's just good intentioned water, isn't it? Well, yes, but then you can do kind of like moon water by leaving it out and allowing the moon's rays to land on it. So maybe you can do this by, you know, taking it to a church and blessing it yourself. I don't know, but okay. I would have thought it. I've never had to. I'm going to look that up. I've never had to, to douse anything in holy water. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> anyway, he nailed down and okay. he doused, doused it with holy water. Which we've discussed. Indeed. And Andy then noticed a chilling warning engraved on the stone mark. The stone mark, this is the, the, the yes, spearhead, right? The one thing they just found. Right, and what did it say? Well, it read, to touch is to enslave. Oh, that, that, oh, that's just like, that's like the Elizabethan alchemist spirit thingy he had said. <laughs> spirit thingy, do apologise. <laughs> it would torment the soul of anyone who touches it. Don't touch it. I guess so, yes. And Bernard was feeling a little out of it and was having more psychic impressions. He saw dripping blood Ugh. and clots of blood. But something else was there, something oh. sealed. Oh, my word. He immediately walked away slowly. Can you immediately walk away slowly? I think you can. Yeah, yes. you can be immediately walk away, but yes. you're not. He immediately walked away slowly, as if in a trance, drawn to find the second object. Oh, my gosh. He soon came across a pit filled with rotting leaves. There, among the decomposing foliage, lay an old brown medicine bottle. It was sealed with red sealing wax. Dripping blood. Clots. Yes, yes, and it would look similar if you had no context. Also, inside the bottle there were pieces of paper stained with what looked like fresh blood. Ooh, gosh. So, 
What exactly just happened and how does it relate to what's all going on? So this was the latest in the Black Alchemist's attempts to both ensnare Andy and Bernard in his quest for Zosimos' spirit's transmutation to immortality and bring harm to them in the process. So why does he want to harm them? I'm not sure. Because they have shown themselves to be worthy adversaries? To get them out of the way in case they jeopardise his work? Or maybe he just needs them to play a role in the rituals and because he can. Andy and Bernard were equally puzzled. Right. Andy and Bernard returned to the Griffin pub and tried to contact the Elizabethan alchemist who had helped them earlier. I love how they do this in the pub of an evening. If people, it's just as lovely that you'd be looking around, Absolutely. you know, with your, your pint of lager and a packet of crisps. And you think, <laughs> what are they doing over there? And you think they're talking about the football, but actually they're trying to contact the Elizabethan alchemist. Absolutely. So, so did they? Did they contact him? They did. And he told them that the purpose of the bottle with the pieces of blooded paper in it and gave them instructions on how to open the bottle safely. So they had to, they actually picked up the bottle? Yes. And the spearhead? Yes. Well, well, said, oh, well he did doused it with... Um, holy water. Yeah. Right, okay, right. So what? how did they open it? How did they open it safely? Well, it was a device that, once opened, would reveal images of Bernard and Andy to the Black Alchemist in an attempt to get near them before any final action is taken. Those are the words of the, of the Alchemist. Oh the my Elizabethan God. Alchemist. That sounds a bit ominous. This Elizabethan alchemist. I'm going to say it again, John D. Funny you should say that, uh, because the name John did come up in some of Bernard's psychic impressions at Shenfield Common. The sigils on the stone found so far, one of the interpretations is that one of them at least is, is John D's hieroglyphic monad, the meaning of which is published in John D's Monus Hieroglyphica, published in 1564. Oh, I like the way you said that. Say that again. Monus Hieroglyphica. No, I like the... Published? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the way you say published. <laughs> no, it's weird. You were the Hieroglyphica. Hieroglyphica. Love. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, John Dee. Who was John Dee? So, he was an Elizabethan alchemist. Yes. Who worked in the court of Elizabeth I. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I don't know much more about it. In essence, it is a symbol, a magical formula, or this is the Monus Hieroglyphica. Yeah. A creation of unity, a talisman embodying all the forces of the universe. Using it could help you to absorb these powers and experience transformation. However, no one really understands it, as it is quite a challenging read. It sounds it. <laughs> the glyph on the stones is a bit different, though. Bernard perceived that the Black Alchemist thought he had perfected the symbol. Oh gosh. So, perhaps it is John Dee come to advise them, as he would know most about it. In early October of 1986, Bernard sensed the Black Alchemist was on the move once more. Oh right, is it another... Where's he getting all these stone spearheads? Is it another one for them to find? Yes and no. He's obviously got a collection. I suppose there are quite a lot of them about, aren't there? Yeah, I think it was made. they were made from slate. So oh, right, OK. Yeah. In a tranced state, whilst at his office, he saw four figures in blackened cowled robes in a field in a circle rotating anti-clockwise, pointing to a fifth figure in a red robe 
What, in the centre? Yes. Right. And Bernard felt that he was viewing this ritual in real time. Oh, crikey. He was seeing Andy that night, so he would talk to him about it then. And on the way to see Andy, Bernard was experiencing an odd anxiety which made it difficult for him to concentrate on his driving. He found himself driving too fast and narrowly missed ramming a stationary car in front of him. He then came across hundreds of plucked chickens strewn across the road being squashed by passing vehicles, including himself. Oh, how horrible. Absolutely. Then he had another near miss with a stationary car in the road. By now, his hands were shaking uncontrollably. And as he waited for the car to make its turn, he saw a strange and unnerving vision. To his left was Runwell Church, known for its churchyard being haunted by the devil itself. Really? Well, the devil himself. I'm not sure. Herself, itself. itself. Yeah. Itself. By the devil itself. Yeah. Ooh, although interested to go there at yeah. the same time. <laughs> Scared right. to go there. Yes. And the church was engulfed by a dense, swirling cloud of chaotic energies that circled upwards and outwards towards the direction from which he had just come. Oh, gosh. He immediately made the connection between this and the ritual he had witnessed earlier that afternoon. Bernard picked up Andy as arranged, told him of the day's goings on, and they decided to head straight for Runwell Church to see what was occurring. As you guessed, Louise, they did find another stone spearhead marker. It was hidden in the church's porch. Bernard said there was something else in the porch, and, feeling the effects of the stone, he backed away, leaving Andy to look for the other item. Next to where the stone had been hidden were some roof tiles, and under one of the tiles was a sealed black envelope. Andy turned it over. In small black type, on a white strip of paper sellotaped to the black envelope, was the name Andrew Brian Collins. Oh, that would just make me feel. That's his name. Oh, my word. That would just make me... Would that not just... I can't even... The phrase, your blood would run cold, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes and in fact, I've gone shivery. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the black envelope, hidden in the tiles, next to the stone, was addressed to him. Oh, no. I would just... No. The black gosh. alchemist now knew his name. Oh, that's really... Oh, my gosh. So there you go. The end of part two of The Black Alchemist. Join us for part three. We hope you've enjoyed this second part of this spooky tale. We look forward to joining you again for part three. If you have enjoyed these spooky tales, please do tell others. And please leave us a review so it can help other people who might enjoy our podcast. Thank you. Please do tell us your spooky tales either in the YouTube comments or... Via email, which is thespookytalespodcast at gmail.com. And come and follow us on Instagram at the Spooky Tales Podcast. Or why not visit us on our Facebook page at Spooky Tales. Thanks again. Until next time. Bye. Bye.